Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Please pick your Bibles in your hands. Hallelujah. Otakot, are you ready? Yes, Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to read together from verse 22 to verse 24. Are you there? Read together with me from verse 22. One to go. But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. Listen, every time we gather together as believers, there is more to our gathering that meets the eyes. There is more to our gathering that meets the eyes. And you'll be very wrong to look at us with your naked eyes and judge us and size us up. Because we're not alone. Did you hear what I said? We're not alone. We're not alone. And if you want to take proper attendance tonight, you have to count the, the angels. And guess what? They cannot be counted. It says, innumerable company of angels. That means there is enough divine supernatural ministry to go around. Enough. God can minister to everyone here at the same time. As the word is going on. At any point in the service, God can be ministering to you. I want to announce to you, listen, it's very important that you are conscious of the possibilities of our gathering. It's important. Listen, supernatural encounters are not automatic. They are systematic, but not automatic. Meaning there is a system to it. You have to be intentional about it. There is a position into it. You must be aware. And that's why this text is powerful. It conditions your mind. It paints a picture in your mind. It says, you are, you are come to Mount Zion. Listen, I know you are in Portacot right now, but you have to understand that every local assembly is a subset of a greater Catholic spiritual church. No wonder Paul says, I bow my knees to the God of our as God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family is in heaven and earth is named. So our family is a wide and a large one. We have brethren in heaven. Just men made perfect. Hallelujah. So you must descend this gathering properly. Don't be like Jacob, who just came casually, sleeping, only to realize God was there, but he did not know it. I want you to say with me, loud as you can, say, God is here. God is here. 
and I know it. Say it again. Say, God is here and I know it. And this is, the, this is what makes our gathering dynamic. It's not just God. He says, innumerable company of angels. Say, angels are here and I know it. Say, God is here and I know it. Say, angels are here and I know it. Say, anything good can happen. Say, anything good can happen. One more time, this is Reboot Camp. The meeting you prayed about. Reboot Camp, Port Harcourt 2021. So the theme for this camp meeting is Solideo Gloria, which is a Latin expression and it means for his glory alone. And I'm going to explain this. Listen, this is the first of a 15-part teaching we'll do because every part is so important. Hallelujah. Solideo Gloria. And I want to start by answering the question. Just since this is, this is the first teaching, I want to start on a fundamental foundational note and answer the question, what is glory? You see, the charismatic church is not used to defining things. We just like to throw words around and just use them anyhow. But we need to understand these terminologies. And I want to take time, listen. So this is going to start with a Bible study, then we enter um, the preaching gear. So I want you to be patient as we build up, take your notes properly. I want to say humbly, that I'm going to explain this in a way that you will scarcely hear. So take your time and understand this properly. What is glory? First and foremost, when many people think of the glory of God, they immediately think of the power of God. And whilst they are not wrong, there is more to the glory of God than the power of God. A very quick example I can give you is Moses. Moses had seen the power of God in astronomical dimensions. In fact, I want to say boldly that it seems as though nobody had walked in the power of God like Moses did. Nobody before Moses walked in the power of God like Moses did. Nobody. Do you know what it means? That someone stretched his hand over a river and it turned to blood. Blood. I'm not talking about Zobo, like blood. That's incredible. Like actual literal blood. A whole, I mean, talk about the largest blood bank ever. Drop this rod on the floor and it turned to a serpent. And I'm like, man, you are very brave. Because if God says, drop your rod and it turns to a serpent, that's the end of that rod. I'm not picking it up again. But if you ever doubted the prophetic in Moses' life, it's the fact that he picked it up again. From the tail. If you know about serpents, you know how interesting that is. And one day, with the entire Israel behind him, he stretched his hand over the Red Sea. And it split in two. 
Do you know that if you do that for swimming pool, it's still cool? It's still a very big miracle if you do it for swimming pool. That you stretch your hand over swimming pool and it divides. Ah! But you do it for an ocean. Have you seen an ocean before? Do you know how big it is? Picture it. Even to walk past, they would have had to go deep. Think of how high the walls of the water had to be. That sight. You, you never, no wonder when they got to the other side, they broke out singing. It was a powerful sight. And I said all of that to say this. Despite the miraculous in this man's life, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter 33 verse 18, that he just looked, looked and said to God in prayer, show me your glory. What do you mean, show me your glory? After splitting the ocean, after all the plagues of Egypt, after the things you've done, water from the rock, show me your glory. It just tells you there is more to the glory of God than the power of God. Guess what? When he said, show me your glory, God did not tell him that's a stupid question. God actually answered him. So there is more to the glory of God than the power of God. I want to quickly prophesy. In this camp meeting, you will see the glory of God. Amen. And I mean... Yes, there will be several miracles, but you will see the glory of God in its totality. You will understand what I mean by the time I'm done. You will see the glory of God. So, back to the question, what is the glory of God? I want to start by examining the glory of God in the Old Testament, and I'm doing that for a reason. More often than not, the Greek word, or I beg your pardon, the Hebrew word that was translated glory in the Old Testament is kavod. Kavod is spelled K-A-V-O-D. K-A-V-O-D. I wanted to take notes. And kavod describes what makes you important. That's what it means. What makes you important or respectable. It is your tangibleness. That's what kavod means. Your tangibleness. Simply put, kavod means respect. Kavod means what, everybody? Respect. That's what it means. Respect. Interestingly, when you translate the word literally, the literal meaning is actually weightiness or heaviness. But by weightiness or heaviness, what is meant metaphorically is actually how respectable you are. So in local parlance, when someone sees you and says, you're solid or you full ground, it simply means you're respectable. So that's what cavord means, heaviness or weightiness. But it actually describes metaphorically a respectable person. And I want to quickly mention that glory can be used both for man and for God. The difference is God's glory is an excellent glory, meaning there is none like him in glory. All right? There is none like him in glory. The glory of God can be discerned 
in four ways. Number one, the most obvious, in his power. Now, that text I mentioned, Exodus chapter 33 verse 18, when Moses said, I beseech you, show me your glory. You know what God said? He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. You cannot see my face. For there shall, there shall no man see me and live. Now, that's power. The glory of God is so sacred. So powerful. Just like the sun. As useful and as powerful as the sun is, everything that comes close to the sun is destroyed. And so God says, no one can see my face and live. That's power. And well, by the way, power is what comes to mind when most people hear about the glory of God. But it doesn't stop there. The glory of God is discerned in appearance, by appearance. Can you say appearance? So when he said, show me your glory, he said, I will pass by you. But before I do that, I will hide you in the cliff of the rock, cover you with my hand, and you will see back parts. Listen, the thing is this. God is actually invisible. But in the glory of God, just for the sake of his communication with man, his attributes are made visible. And so there is an appearance when it comes to the glory of God. We'll talk about this more as we go on. Now, this is the third one, and the third one, a lot of people do not know. The glory of God is seen in the resume of God. In the resume of God. I mean, think about it. Moses said, show me your glory, and what did he say? He says, I will proclaim my name. So, when I proclaim my name, when I introduce myself, I'm showing you my glory. Are you with me? This is so important. And listen, this is what he says. He says, I will be merciful to whom I'll be merciful. That's resume. And that's glory. And when he passed in Exodus chapter 34, he shouted, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger. So as he was proclaiming his name, he was showing forth his glory. Let me tell you this. You have to understand that he has honored his word above his name. It is first a message before and what? That's what I meant by that statement. When you're talking about seeing the glory of God, the lyrics of one of my songs, it is first a message before it's an experience. You see the glory of God when you know who God is. You have to know the resume of God. It's beyond an appearance. So what did I say number one is? And what is number two? And what is number three? Now, number four is very interesting. The glory of God is seen in the holiness of God. Write it down while we explain. Before I explain, let me just show you a simple text that portrays this. In Isaiah chapter 6, from verse 1 to 3, Isaiah chapter 6, oh, Matori Kapaya. I'm telling you, God is ministering to people. In Isaiah chapter 6, 
from verse 1 to 3, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. Can you all say appearance? Yeah. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. With two, he flew. Can you say power? power. Why is this power? Because even the seraphim would not dare look at him. Three, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Can you say resume? Now, but here's the interesting thing leading to the fourth one. When he says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You should expect that the next statement is, the whole earth is filled with his holiness. But that's not what he says. He says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. You know what that means? It means that the glory of God is synonymous with the holiness of God. That is why Isaiah used them interchangeably. I will explain, but take that down. The glory of God is synonymous with the holiness of God. Or simply put, the holiness of God is the glory of God. That's why a text like Exodus chapter 15 verse 11, you might not know the reference, but I'm sure you know the verse, you've heard of it before. Exodus 15 verse 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Glorious in what? In holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders. So his, his, oh, Glorious in holiness. They go hand in hand. And for you to understand this, you have to understand what the holiness of God is. You know, many people have a stereotypical definition of holiness. They think holiness is about trying not to sin. They think holiness is about morality. And in some sense, they are correct. There are many instances or many contexts where holiness refers to that. But think about this. The mount... Sinai was called holy, a holy mount. The things that were used in the Old Testament temple were called holy. Were they trying not to sin? Imagine the cop in the temple trying not to sin. You have to have a different definition of holiness. What about God? When you say God is holy, you think he's trying not to sin? You think that has to do with, listen, God is just but there is more to his holiness than that. Listen, God, the Bible says, cannot be tempted with evil. So that definition of morality doesn't really work with God. He's just. So when you talk about the holiness of God, what do you mean? Holiness actually means to be set apart. It means to be unique. It means to be separate from what is common. So, when the utensils that were used in the temple are called holy, it means there might be many cups in Jerusalem, but this one is holy. 
you will not use this one for drinking. This is why that Babylonian king was in trouble. When he used it for drinking, he saw writing on the wall. You have been measured and you have been found wanting. Just because it's a cup does not mean it's for drinking. Are you getting what I'm saying? God has separated this one. There are many mountains all over the world, but Sinai is separate. It's not common because God spoke from it. Are you getting this? So it means to be separate from what is common. And now what is the correlation between glory and holiness? I will explain it to you. Let me use your academic grading system for you. So academically, there is grade A and grade B and grade C. Grade D, in some cases E, in all cases there's F. <laughs> now let me ask you, generally speaking, which grade do most people get? C, right? All right. And that's an average grade. An average grade. So in a class, maybe 55% of people will get C and under. And then 35% of people maybe will get B. And then 10%, in some cases one person, you know, will get A. Now, there is a reason why some grades are called distinction. Distinction actually means to stand out. You know what that grading system is telling you? It tells you that the better your score, the less likely you are to find other people like you. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, the more you are closer to perfection, to 100, the less people, the less company you have. So, the glory of God is so excellent that he's alone. And that aloneness is holiness. Do you understand what I just said? Because there is none like him, he's alone. Separate from the common. Excellent in gloriousness. And that is why in Exodus 15, 11, they were making a comparison with other gods. Who is like you, O Lord, amongst the gods? You are distinct. Glorious in holiness. I mean, who else is fearful in praises? Who else does wonders like you? I see someone reading these lines to God in thanksgiving when you see miracles in this camp meeting. <laughs> it means the good place to say loud amen. <laughs> So there is none like our God. No one can talk the way he talks. No one can stand when he stands. Who is he that says a thing and it comes to pass when the Lord has not ordained it? He's excellent in glory. But then there is a problem. There is a problem. The glory of God is a bittersweet revelation. It's a bittersweet revelation because, you see, everything beautiful about the glorious holiness of God highlights the unworthiness of man. God is so glorious, man cannot approach him. 
Don't forget, I'm describing the glory of God in the Old Testament. God is so glorious that he is unapproachable. Man cannot in his own capacity approach God. God told Moses, don't, don't forget. God told Moses, he said, if you see my face, you will die. There is something about his holiness and the gloriousness of it that makes him unapproachable. When the law was given, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 12, 21 recounts the story. It says, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Moses, how much more the Israelites? I'm exceedingly afraid. In that vision I read to you, Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah saw all those things, the throne room, God high and lifted up, and the seraphim, you know what his reaction was? He said, I'm undone. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm going to die. <laughs> he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst people of unclean lips. What am I doing here? I'm in trouble. So on one hand, you see the excellence of the glory of God and we have songs to sing about it, but you have to see the contrasts. That was what Paul was trying to describe in Romans chapter 3, the first four verses, where he said, it seems as if the unrighteousness of man commends the righteousness of God. The contrasts. When you understand holiness, you know that there is God and you are not him. You are not even close. You are not worthy. You can't come close. Not just you. Listen, don't forget, even the seraphims dare not look. They have two wings specially for covering their face. Not for flying. For ensuring that their face remains covered. Can you imagine? Flying around the throne of God for eternity, yet never had the opportunity to see him once. You have to understand, relationship with God is practically, emphasis on practically, from an intellectual standpoint, relationship with God is practically impossible. Impossible. How do you get close to the sun? Now, when you think of the sun, how devastating it is in glory and in the favor of his heat. You now think of the fact that it is someone that created the sun. You, you, how, do you, how do you picture that? That as great as this sun is, this sun is, it's someone else's creation. If you can't approach the sun, how do you approach him? The Bible says, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. I want you to read this. Open your Bibles. I know I'm quoting many texts, you know, from my heart. But I want you to open this one. It says, who alone is immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light. That's what he says. Unapproachable. Unapproachable light. He says, whom no man has seen or can see. Did you see that? It says, who no man has seen or can see. 
the excellence of the glory of God. What can you give such a God? How can you impress such a God? What can you do that will endear you to him? What? Your righteousness is like a filthy rag before him. Meaning if you try your best, if the best of us should try his best, it's like a filthy rag. You know, when we have silly arguments about salvation by works or by grace in the church, it's because we don't know who God is. That you, with your small mind, think you can do anything that will qualify you for a relationship with God or for heaven. You don't know God. You don't know who you're talking about. Hallelujah. There are some men, even men, they are so great that if you will ever have a relationship with you, with them, they have to initiate it. There is nothing you can do. Are you getting what I'm saying? They have to just take interest in you by grace. <laughs> I'm saying the truth. You know what I'm saying. There are some men, your resume can never impress them. How much more God? That you would think that when you step through the pearly gates of heaven, you will have a huge sigh and go, I tried. <laughs> you must be out of your mind. You don't know who God is. You don't know where heaven is. This is not a joke. He dwells in unapproachable light. Now, so now, this is the problem and this is the question that must be answered. How can a God so glorious save mankind? If we cannot approach him, we want a relationship with him, but we will never qualify. How then can a God so glorious save mankind? And the answer is simple. We can't approach him, but he chose to approach us. Oh, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. I said we couldn't approach him, but he approached us. One of the most powerful texts in the entire Bible, John chapter 1 verse 1, says in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And then verse 14 See if your mind can capture this. It says, and the word became flesh. What? The word became flesh. How? How, sir? How is this possible? How could God cross the gulf that separates God from man? That gulf is so great. Don't forget, he's, he's distinct. Not just from men, but from angels. How? How? How can you be so humble, so condescending? You, you, you became what? A man? You have to be so arrogant not to see how special and how undeserving that is. Listen. If all you take home today is the meditation that God became a man, that's enough to think, think about for the rest of the year. What? 
He be, I'm mesmerized by this reality. God, be, what? That he was born. That he was under the care of earthly parents. That he had to grow up. You could see that sometimes it was like a struggle. Like, you know, he wanted to submit to them. But when at 12, Mary is looking for him, he's like, what? <laughs> the, the temptation to remind her, like, Nami create you. <laughs> you are trying to care for me. You know, he was, he was trying. He was trying hard. I mean, just think about that. There are some places in the world some of you will struggle, struggle to stay in. Some villages. I mean, the people there are men like you. But you will struggle to stay with them. Now, think of God stepping into this earth. What? 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 No wonder someone retorted in the Psalms and said, what is man that you are mindful of him? What? What? What is man? What? What? Listen, this is why you can't be a Christian and be proud. Who do you resemble? Who's your daddy? Like, God became... I mean, just think about that. That verse has not ended. Put up John chapter 1 verse 14. Now, if you have been following what I've been saying from, from the Old Testament, this should just blow you away. And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst... Dwelt among us! Read the next sentence together, one to go. And we beheld... Stop there. We beheld... Listen, listen, listen. Listen, this is an oxymoron. How do you behold what is not supposed to be beheld? How do you look at what no one has ever looked at before? We beheld his glory. What a privilege. Never in creation had this ever happened. Never. We be what? We beheld his glory. I remember one time in school, I was casting a demon from a young man. He laid flat on the floor, and for many minutes, about 40 minutes, the demon was ranting about how we don't even know the love of Christ. We are not appreciative. We don't know. <laughs> he was angry. And then after a while, he looked, at, looked up and said, why do you love them so much? The demon was angry at Adam. He said, imagine someone was, you know, was walking with God and he threw that away. We never got the chance. <laughs> Open your Bibles. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is another text that will blow you away. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. How can the infinite become finite? How can God become a man? 
in 1 Timothy 3.16, you know what it says? It says, and without controversy, great is the mystery. Meaning, see, the incarnation, God becoming a man, is hard to comprehend. Great is the mystery of godliness. Great. What? Not just the mystery, but the privilege. Not just the privilege, but the humility. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Vindicated in the spirit. The spirit bore witness that this was the son of God. At his baptism, the spirit hovered. Just like in the beginning, hovered like a dove. And this is the next part that should get you. Seen by angels. Angels that had never seen. This was their opportunity. In the incarnation, angels saw for the first time. It was a privilege for them too. That, ah, ha, ha, ha. No wonder when he was born, they couldn't contain themselves. Listen, they couldn't hide themselves anymore. They just threw a party in the sky and began to sing for shepherds. The shepherd had a free show that night. Glory to God in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. Scene of angels. What a privilege. Philippians chapter 2. I want to build a case. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6. Says, who being in the form of God. By the way, if he was in the form of God, it simply means he was God. If you are in the form of man, it means you are man, right? Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He did not consider equality with God something to hold on to and not to let go of. He says, but he made himself of no reputation. You know, we are so arrogant. We think it is special to be man. But this text is telling you that he became a man was him stripping himself of reputation. <laughs> he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a born servant, coming in the likeness of men. Think about this. Let me tell you this. If the redemptive work was just the incarnation, it is sacrificial enough. If he didn't have to die on a cross, he just had to come as a man, it is still sacrificial. You have to understand, great is the mystery. Great. He came as a born servant. And do you know, he wasn't available only to the elites. Ah. Uh, it is one thing to become as a man, to come as a man. It is another to choose of all families, the family of a carpenter. And then when you, the time you were going to be born, there was no hotel room available. So it had to be in the manger. Humble in his birth. What kind of God is this? What kind of humility is this? If you're not mesmerized, listen. The common men had access to him. Not just the elites. Everybody. All kinds of people. What a God. 
and it didn't stop there. Like I said, if the incarnation was all that the redemptive provision entailed, it was sacrificial enough, but it didn't stop there. Not only did he come, verse 8, everybody read verse 8 of Philippians 2 together, loud as you can, one, two, go. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Aye, listen, listen. No wonder the writer of Hebrews says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How? What would be your excuse that God took on flesh, then died for you? Died for you, respectfully, small you. With respect to whatever achievement you claim to have, he came to the earth and died for you. What would be your excuse not to receive that salvation? How shall we escape? If we neglect so great a salvation, how? For God so loved the world. This is, this is the love of God to all humanity. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, I want to tell you, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. God loves you. Did you hear what I said? He went an unimaginable length for you. Showed great humility for you. Came to the world. Took your place. Died your death. I don't really care what you've done in the past. His love is greater. His love is deeper. His love is higher. His love is greater. That's covered all your sins. Blotted all your sins. One ounce of the blood of Jesus is greater than all the sins of the world. One ounce. One drop. That God will allow one drop to touch the ground. When the blood of Jesus touched the ground, the, the ground couldn't take it. The sun refused to shine. There was an earthquake. Everything, there was chaos. The whole world was reacting. What is going on? It was the middle of the day, but everywhere went dark. Are you with me? He loves you. Listen, receive his love today. This is not about religion. This is about relationship. God loves you. And you couldn't approach him. He has approached you. Drop the pride. Listen, there is nothing you can do to qualify for his love. You know, the problem with many humans when it comes to salvation is that it's so simple. And this is what the Bible was warning us. It says, don't let as the serpent beguiled Eve. Don't let anyone beguile you from the simplicity of the gospel. It's so, it's so simple, you need an expert to confuse you. It's so simple. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish. Yes, there is a moral change in salvation, but moral change is not salvation. Do you understand the difference? What gets you saved? What, 
What did Paul say? If you shall believe in your heart the Lord Jesus, confess with your mouth that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the mouth, heart man believes unto righteousness. For with the mouth, confession is made unto eternal life, unto salvation. That's the requirement. Believe. Don't say in your heart, who shall ascend to the heaven that is to bring Christ down. Or descend into the deep that is to bring him up again. It says, what said it? The word is nigh you. There's a way we put it in local parlance. What you're looking for in Sokoto is where? It's very simple. The word is nigh you in your heart and in your mouth. Believe today. Believe today. Not tomorrow, today. And receive it with gratitude. Hallelujah. God is so loving. It annoyed arrogant people. Annoyed proud people. That he would walk on the earth and be a friend of sinners. That God in the flesh would sit on a well and wait for a woman who had married five times, had a boyfriend, and he would have a conversation with her. And as she was approaching, she did not turn to salt. <laughs> and he just tasted the salt and said, Shebi, when you they sing, it is sweet you. <laughs> you know? <laughs> about it. Listen, if you want to grow spiritually, throw aside everything you thought you knew about God and then read objectively afresh. The God that you grew up learning about, if that God sat on a well and that woman was approaching, what would happen? Maybe the woman sees him and wants to dodge. He said, if you run, <laughs> just come. Just come. On the last day. Hallelujah. Do you realize in that conversation, his emphasis was doctrine. He wanted to help her believe right. Let that be your emphasis in evangelism. When they get the message right and receive the Holy Spirit, they, they can't continue in their old ways. They cannot. Do you know what the power of the Spirit is? Drunkenness is wrong, but sobriety is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is. When you're preaching out there, you hear all kinds of evangelical messages. People carry megaphones and say, um, mini scared, stop the smoking and drinking. Preach the gospel, brother. Preach the gospel, sister. <laughs> if you like, let your skirt belong from here to your village, it cannot endear you to God. You need to know who God is. Are you listening to me? Do you understand what I've been saying since? Start the skirt from your head. Tie the belt here. You see, the fact that you think it is about that. Do you know that altogether, dressing, I mean, is part of the symptoms of the fall? 
It is. So listen, you have to understand there is a bigger issue in salvation. The fact that we are talking about cloth at all is part of the problem. We minimize issues. We minimize issues. You think it's a game that you can be doing hanky-panky, then you, some of you have imagined, God forbid, if you have an accident, before you die, you just, you just quickly say, plus Jesus minus Satan. Eh? <laughs> if it's by like that, don't try Satan. No. <laughs> it will catch you in the way that you won't be able to say it. <laughs> All those things are human inventions. Are you getting what I'm saying? Human inventions. Let me tell you something. Adoption only happens once. By the grace of God, I don't know if I didn't even get my wife's permission to know if I can tell you this. We just adopted one of our helps. So she's now my legitimate daughter. All right? All right, this is the first time I'm saying it. But I said that for a reason. Now, if she misbehaves tomorrow, I will correct her. But the adoption process does not need to be done again. Are you getting the point? So, yes, God corrects us when we do wrong. But we don't stop being his children when we do wrong. You see, that concept of rededicating your life to Christ is not in the Bible. It's a human invention. If you are born of God, you are born of God. He approached you. Don't forget. He approached Your own role is to believe what he said. But you see, a lot of religious people struggle with this. A lot of religious people struggle with this. In fact, there are many stories we don't really understand. There's a story we call the prodigal son, right? And yes, it's the prodigal son. But we don't know who the prodigal son is. The person we think is the prodigal son is not the prodigal son. So when you follow, listen, in Bible study, you have to learn the context rule. Learn to read it in context. So when you read from Luke chapter 15 where the story is, when you read from Luke 15 where the story is, the Pharisees saw Jesus with sinners and they were angry. How can a man of God be walking with people like this, talking with people like this? And you know the way Jesus always replied them, it is those who are sick that need a physician. If you feel that you are too good, well, I didn't come for you. Are you getting what I'm saying? Let me tell you something. Every attempt to impress God amounts to pride. And he says he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, he says. Blessed are those who acknowledge an insufficiency in themselves. They know that there is nothing they can do to impress this thrice holy God. He says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everything you, think, everything you think disqualifies you from heaven is more reason he comes for you. He didn't come for the strong. Heaven does not help those who help themselves. Heaven is for the helpless. Paul says, when we were without strength, Christ died for the godly. Ungodly. When we were without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. That's what the word of God says. So they were complaining. Why is Jesus 
making friends with these people? Why is he even talking to them? And then he tells a story. He says, which of you who has 100 sheep, when he loses one, will you not leave the 99 and go look for that one? He says, and when he finds that one, he will throw a party and say, hey, my sheep was lost, but now it's found. He says, which of you having 10 coins will, if they lose one, not put on a candle and search the whole house, and when you find that coin, throw a party and tell everybody, come. So this is, this is, this is the fabric behind the story of the prodigal son. There is a lost son who was found, and then there's a party. Are you getting what I'm saying? So he had already told two similar stories prior. And then he tells this one. This guy comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance. Do you know how insulting that is? The inheritance is meant to be for him when his father dies. By the son asking for his inheritance, he's saying, I want you dead. I don't like you. I like your money. So let's get it over with. Let's cut the pretense. I mean, that's very insulting. And then the father gave it to him. You have to understand most wealthy people in those days, their wealth was in livestock. So it's not as if the father just credited his account, one billion or, or 30 billion. 30 billion, oh, don't worry. <laughs> so for the father to have given him his part of the inheritance, he had to have given him cattle and he had to sell the cattle. But guess what? Just a few days after that, the guy was off. Meaning for him to liquidate the resources that fast, he had to sell cheap. He made a lot of wrong moves. So cheap. So he even undervalued, undermined the, the, the inheritance. And when you are reading as a Nigerian, you don't really get the magnitude of the story that this guy got broke and he was watching over sheep. He's a Jew. Did I say sheep? Watching over swine. Pigs. It was an abomination for Jews. So this story was just an extreme story to let you know how far someone can err and yet the father will still love him. And here is the interesting thing about the story. It's not as if the guy woke up one day and said, ah, I've sinned against my father. Sin of commission, omission, permission. You know. <laughs> That's not what happened. It was a business move. He said, you know what? I'm broke. I know I've already messed up. I don't think my dad can forgive me. But even the servants in my father's house are enjoying better than me. Let me go back as a servant. You know, some of you, that's how you think when you sin against God. You say, I'm not worthy to be called your child. All those stupid things you used to say. <laughs> that's, how the bro that's how that guy was thinking. So he had rehearsed it. When I just see him, I would just start like this. Father, you know, I have nothing to give you or something. <laughs> you know, he was rehearsing it. How he will, he will beg how he would just fall down, roll on the floor, and after he has cried seven days, God is looking at him and saying, stand up. It's just because... <laughs> Haven't you seen in all those dramas, 
the person depicting, um, portraying God will sit down and someone is beating drums and God is like, who is that? But as you continue to beat the drum, he starts tapping his leg. Then starts moving his finger. Then when he cannot take it anymore, right? <laughs> Human inventions. The Bible says when he was on his way home, his father saw him from afar. Oh, glory to God. His father saw him from afar. Listen, we are talking about Orientals. So men in those days, they wore gowns, flowing gowns. So this man had to carry his gown and run towards the sun. He didn't wait for the sun to come to him. He ran towards him. Before the son could say anything, he jumped on him, hugged him, took off his coat, wore him the coat for the son, and threw a party, said, everybody come and see. My son was dead, now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. He didn't wait for the boy to say anything. Listen, how did he see the son when he was coming? It's because he was looking. He saw him because he was looking. He saw him because he was waiting. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Do you realize that that guy wasted his time for nothing? All those seven years or I don't know how long, he waited thinking his father would not accept him. If he came back the next day, he would have been accepted. If he came back the next week, he would have been accepted. Some of you, you think God cannot accept you because of what you've done. You are wasting your time. Come on! You stop going to church because you feel you are too dirty. Come back! He's waiting. He saw him because he was looking. All the while, every time he was looking. Don't forget the two stories he told before. The person who lost one sheep looked for the sheep. So meaning in this story too, he was looking for his son. God is looking for you. Where have you gone? Come back. You're always at home with me. Listen, before the guy could apologize, the father called him son. My son is back home. But now this is the part that many religious people need to listen to. As the son came back, the other son, the brother who had been in the house all the while and was diligent. This is a picture of works. Keeping the father's sheep. When he came, he came close to the house and heard music. And he said, what is going on? And then some of the servants said, oh, your brother who was lost has been found. And he was angry. He said, I have been here. Nothing has been done for me. And now they are playing music for this guy. And guess what? He refused to enter the house. So that was the true prodigal son. The guy who felt entitled. The guy who felt arrogant. Who felt that by his works, he deserves all the father's inheritance. That is the real prodigal son. Do you know how the story ended? That guy did not enter the house. You can't call the guy prodigal who came back. The real prodigal is the religious entitled guy. 
humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. You will only be saved by the mercy and the grace of God. Turn your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 8 as we begin to round off. Capone de Caparia Tole Venendo says. Have you learned anything tonight? Are you in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8? There is something called mental models. And this is how it works. Anything that you don't truly understand or anything that is misinterpreted to you becomes a stronghold in your mind. If you are used to seeing something a particular way, it just stays there. We don't understand how habitual we are. Are you aware that 90% of you are likely to sit in the same area tomorrow? Are you aware that when you start a conference, you just have an unusual attachment to the area you sat? And the next day, you might change it because I said it, but <laughs> if I didn't say it, you will just find yourself going to the same area tomorrow. That's how we are. And so if someone teaches you to see the Bible in a particular way, even if you see otherwise, someone has to remove that stronghold, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. He wasn't talking about witches in the village. He was talking about imaginations. That's the real warfare in the church. Wrong teachings that have stood erect against the word of God in the minds of people. We must cast them down. Now, this sermon you just heard is good news. Some people will hear it and be annoyed. No be juju be that. <laughs> you know, I remember the first time I preached and I told them, this was, I think, 2015. I said, in this church, we tithe out of free will. I said, if you don't tithe, no devourer will devour you. And someone was angry. I said, are you so hungry to be devoured? <laughs> How can I say no devourer will devour you when you're angry? You insist that, why would, why would no devourer devour me? <laughs> Religion is bad, oh. <laughs> Jesus said, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted shall be rooted out. Now, as we read Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, I want you to read it like you're reading the Bible for the first time. Read it with your educated mind. Are you with me? And read it like someone who has the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Now, read together Ephesians 2, 8, 1, 2, go. Hold on. For by grace are you saved. Let's go home. This does it. It is by grace that we are saved. Haven't you been listening to anything I said? You couldn't approach God if you tried. Where do you start? Listen, we even did not know we needed salvation. We know because he told us. And when he told us, he had already made the provision available. God is so good and proactive in his goodness that when we discovered we were sinners, the provision was already made. 
He says, while we were yet seen as Christ died for us. Is it now you want to begin to impress? If you paid the ultimate price before you were conscious, is it now? By grace are you saved. As if that's not clear enough, he says through faith. Listen, the fact that it is by faith highlights the fact that it's by grace. Just imagine someone tells you that there is a drug you can take, that if you take that drug, you will live forever. And you say, how much is the drug? You say, oh, it's free. Just believe in me. Eh? That's like over-the-top goodness. Too good to be true. That's what the gospel is. It's too good. It's not just good news. It's too good to be true news. You mean all I have to do to have eternal life is believe? Ah, it is by faith. That means it's by grace. So, whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Ah, then it's by grace. Through faith. And then, as if he knew people would be slow in our generation. He's explaining what the simple statement, by grace are you saved, has already explained. He said, that not of yourselves. He didn't have to say that. He already said it's by grace. He didn't have to say that not of it. If it is by grace, it means it's not of yourself. But he knows some people will still be slow. So he's counting it. By grace are you saved. Through faith. That not of yourselves. is the gift of God. Please. <laughs> it is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. Ah! And we are still debating this. Receive the goodness of God. Receive the goodness of God. It says, by grace are you saved. Through faith. It says, that not of yourselves. Meaning, you don't bring anything to the table. You don't contribute to this. I did it all. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's a gift, a free gift. It says, not of works, lest any man should boast. Meaning we can't boast about it. We can't brag about it. It's a gift he gave us freely. So all we do is to say thank you. That's all we do. To say thank you for the gift of salvation. That the infinite became finite. So that he can bring us to glory. Listen, we couldn't approach glory, but he brought us to glory. Rise to your feet, carry your Bibles in your hand. Hebrews chapter 2, the last text. Emenokaprates. This is beautiful. Do you love Jesus? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hallelujah. Are you in Hebrews 2.10? Read it together, one, to go. Thank 
You know, KJV might confuse you. It became him. What does that mean? It simply means it was fitting. It makes sense. It's understandable. It was fitting for whom are all things and by whom are all things. Listen, if he's the creator, then he has to be the one to do it. <laughs> do you understand this? Meaning, this is your mentality of salvation. We couldn't do it. It's only fitting that the one for whom are all things and by whom are all things will do this. And he has brought many sons to glory. The same sons who couldn't approach glory have been brought to glory. Hallelujah. And the captain of our salvation is perfect through suffering. He has become our example. He has become our prototype. In him we live and move and have our being. Come on, are you grateful to God today? I mean, just think about it. Think about it. In 1 John chapter 1, John had the audacity. Do you know how we started the book? It says the things that our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Listen, you won't, un, you won't appreciate that statement if you did not know that this same word was unapproachable before. Come on, are you with me? Did you hear what I just said? This same word that was unapproachable before, now John is boasting. Our ears have heard, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled, we have touched him before. <laughs> and even if you were not around in the incarnation, you have better. Yes. Jesus came to be with us so that he can be in us. Yes. This is that great mystery that Paul described. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So if you have Christ in you, glory is not unaccessible to you. Christ is in you. And listen, the only way you can access the glory of God is in his Christ. That's your only hope of glory, Christ. Have you got Christ in you? Has he changed your life? Just worship him right now. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809-996-7000. Blessings.